Coming out of week seven, we have some fantasy assets we would like to cement into our fantasy rosters. I'm here to tell you if you should simmer down or go full steam ahead. Let's get it. What's up, fantasy people? This is the True North Fantasy Pod. I am Trav, hosting and West Coastin', here to inform, empower, and entertain, drop in knowledge to help you make sound fantasy football decisions. Thanks for joining. Go follow us on social media at True North FFB. Make sure you subscribe to that channel to keep up with the meat and potatoes of all of our content. Uh, really enjoyed it. Yeah, love engaging with all the people. So leave some comments there. Love chatting. Love helping people with their fantasy decisions. So yeah, go check it out. Thanks, everybody. Really, really appreciate it. This episode, I am talking about some big takeaways across the fantasy landscape after week seven. On this one, I'm going to hit the quarterbacks and the running backs. As I dialed in the show sheet, it was a little bit long this week, so I decided to split it into two. Going to try and bang another one out for you later in the week, so stay tuned and make sure you're subscribed to that channel. But yeah, lots of stuff happening coming out of week seven. A bunch of things we need to clarify as we move towards week eight and beyond. And I'm here to do that for you. And we're going to start at the quarterback position. Lots of super flex leagues out there. Super important to make sure your quarterback spot is locked down. And then in one quarterback, having that elite option can provide huge positional advantages over the rest of your league. So let's talk about it. Week seven, there were some familiar faces amongst the quarterback ranks. Patrick Mahomes was the quarterback one. We had Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts as usual. Top five mainstays as the quarterback four and five respectively. And then we had guys like Mac Jones, Derek Carr, Baker Mayfield, and Jordan Love making cameos in the top 12. And sandwiched in between those muck piles was Trevor Lawrence at quarterback 10. So interesting week at the quarterback position. Most interesting, I think, are the two guys that I left out of that list who did finish in that top 10, and those are Gardner Minshew and Tyrod Taylor. Pretty surprising weeks for them, especially with Minshew carving up that Cleveland defense. And then uh, Tyrod with the divisional matchup against the Washington going commandos with that big W for the G-men. And we're going to start with Gardner Minshew. He finished as the quarterback three with over 28 points on the week. That was really on the back of a two rushing touchdown week he had against those Cleveland Browns. And I think, I think we know this from the Gardner Minshew experience, that he's always a little bit frisky as a quarterback streamer, got a bit of that gunslinger mentality. Coaches have not been afraid to let him throw the ball out there to the receivers as well when he's been in. So I think he's always kind of in that conversation. He's the quarterback four over the past two weeks with Anthony Richardson out. So, I mean, small sample, obviously, but Gardner's getting it done with Anthony Richardson. Uh, Not going to talk about it on this episode, but he's doing a lot to keep those wide receivers afloat. Make sure you check back for that wide receiver tight end episode. But yeah, if you look at Gardner and what we want to do with him going forward, uh, it wasn't all great against those Cleveland Browns, of course, but it looked pretty good against a fairly elite defense. And looking at those next three matchups for Gardner, as far as are we going to start him in our fantasy rosters, I think think first let's start with the fact that I think he needs a little bit of specific game script to put numbers up like this consistently. Uh, He needs for them to get down. He needs for the team not to be able to lean on that running game with two solid running backs in Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss. So 
Yeah, a little bit dicey needing that game script, but I think it's it's good because their defense is susceptible to the pass. And when they come up against some of those offense who can put points up, I think their defense is going to allow that, which means Gardner's going to be playing catch up. And that's where Gardner the Hardener really comes out. So before their bye week, the next three opponents that they have are the New Orleans Saints, kind of a middle of the pack team in terms of passing yards allowed on defense. Carolina, they are surprisingly very solid against the pass this year. And then in week 10, they get the New England Patriots, who are also kind of a mid-pack defense against passing. Um, The thing I don't like about those three matchups are that all three of them are very uh, low-scoring offenses in New Orleans, Carolina, and New England. So I think when we look at that game script, kind of hard to see that he's going to be getting that negative game script that he so sorely needs to put up these numbers. And so I guess to summarize Gardner Minshew for the go forward, he's a decent streamer, but I think the next few weeks there is some downside. Of course, we know that there is a little bit upside in there as well. So start him at your own peril. I would probably be looking for other options the next couple weeks, but you could also probably do worse. The other guy I mentioned was Tyrod Taylor. He came out as the quarterback seven for week seven. Quarterback 12 over those past two weeks, small sample again with Daniel Jones out, but Tyrod Taylor is top 12 in that span, and he has made this offense way more serviceable than has one Daniel J. Dimes. Saquon looked better in week seven. Darren Waller is firmly back in that tight end one mix. Hello. And we've got some wideouts getting involved as well. We saw flashes from Jalen Hyatt, a little bit of Wandale sprinkled in. And I don't think they're going to do it with that contract that they gave to Daniel Jones, but Tyrod Taylor should absolutely be the starting quarterback for this team. The tough part is that two of his next three matchups are against the Jets and the Cowboys, both of which are in the top 10 for fewest fantasy points allowed via passing. And I think you might find some better streaming options on the wire than Tyrod Taylor. He should stay serviceable, but the only reason I'm not more bullish on Tyrod Taylor is because he doesn't give you much rushing floor like he did when he was younger. Earlier in his career, you could expect four to six extra fantasy points per game as a floor from those Tyrod Taylor getaway sticks, but you're not getting those anymore. And so I think he's a lower upside option. This is still a bad offense, despite how he's done the past couple of weeks. And those matchups aren't going to do him any favors. So I would be steering off of Tyrod Taylor, but I do love him. So I'd love to see it, to be completely honest. Love me some Ty God. Remember when we used to call him Ty God? That was sick. That was sick. The next quarterback we're going to hit on is Lamar Jackson. On the season, he's the quarterback four, quarterback five on a points per game basis. And if we look at it, he's finished inside the top 10 every week aside from week one against Houston and then week five against those division rival Steelers who are always a tough matchup. But in the other weeks, he's got three top five performances and every week in the top 10, like I said. And if we want to break down how he's doing it, same old, same old as a runner. He's given you over 50 rushing yards per game, which on its own is a five-point floor for fantasy football. He's got five rushing touchdowns on top of that, which totals at over nine fantasy points per game as a runner, which is just next-level rare floor. All of that makes up just over 40% of his fantasy production so far. And so I think as long as he's healthy, that is safe, and that will stick around for Lamar Jackson. And that is really what allows him to be an elite fantasy producer. But I think what determines his ultimate upside is his passing work, to be completely honest. And he is humming. We know that he needs efficiency to be that elite, elite fantasy option, like shit we've never seen before fantasy option. Um, And I think he's getting close to that 2019 MVP level. 
Haven't seen a huge increase in the volume, but the efficiency is there. We kind of thought with Todd Munkin coming in, maybe the passing volume goes up. Hasn't been the case. He's just inside the top 20 at quarterback with 200 pass attempts right on the button. Just over 28 pass attempts per game. So volume's not great, but Todd Munkin is doing some positive things for this passing game. And these efficiency numbers are slick. He is number two in completion percentage behind only Tua Tagovailoa at 71%. That is 5.9% more than expected per our friends over at fantasypoints.com, which leads all quarterbacks in completion percentage over expectation for quarterbacks with like 100 attempts or something like that. So he is doing some crazy things that we didn't necessarily think were in his range of outcomes, especially coming off of last year where we had a bunch of questions about his inaccuracy and deficiencies as a passer. He is showing none of that so far this year. In his career, he's only been over 65% once. And look at that. That was the MVP season he had in 2019 where he was only at 66%, which is 5% lower than where he's at right now. So blowing his career high out of the water there. And then you add to that just some of the other stuff that wraps around him. He's third in yards per attempt, third highest quarterback rating. He's top 10 in deep throw percentage. So while that passing volume may not be super high, there is lucrative volume that's baked in there in the form of deep passing. And that helps the potential downside of that lower passing volume, right? And then back to his improvements as a passer. The positives are kind of endless for Lamar so far this season. He's got the fourth highest catchable throw percentage in the league. The second lowest turnover-worthy throw of quarterbacks with at least 75 pass attempts. And that all comes with a top 10 drop percentage among quarterbacks. So I think if his pass catchers can tighten a little bit of that up, some of Lamar's numbers could be a smidgen better even. So I guess to wrap it up, not much fantasy advice as far as Lamar Jackson goes, because you're never ever going to sit him if he's healthy. More so just like a big shout out, because we had some questions with that new offense coming in. And like I said, the deficiencies we've seen in the past, but it has been all positive signs for Lamar Jackson. And now we just get to marvel at it as football fans. And he is one of the most fun quarterbacks players to watch in the NFL. Looking good for them, Baltimore Ravens. Nevermore. Okay, I'm going to polish off the quarterbacks with a couple of streamers you can use for week eight. We're going to start with Baker Mayfield at the Buffalo Bills. We know Buffalo can put up some points. Baker might have to keep up on the scoreboard. And then looking at Buffalo's defense, they have allowed the third most passing yards in the past four weeks and a 5.3% completion percentage over expectation. With a banged up secondary, I think Baker has a chance to slice and dice against the Buffalo Bills. Maybe not slice and dice, but maybe give you a solid fantasy performance as a bye week fill-in. Actually, there's no bye weeks this week. Just as a spot starter then, Baker can do it for you this week. Next guy is Sam Howell against the Philadelphia Eagles. I know it's an ugly, dirt, nasty one. But Philadelphia can give up fantasy points to quarterbacks and in turn wide receivers. Sam Howell's going to be running for his life behind that uh, behind that D-line, no doubt. So he's going to throw up some YOLO balls. He is live for a serviceable performance. That Eagles D is a bit on the upswing over the past couple of weeks. So only start Sam Howell if you're desperate. But he did put up just under 19 points in week four against those birds. And he finished as the quarterback's 13 that week. So you never know. Throw a dart at Sam Howell. And moving into running backs here on the True North Fantasy Football Pod. Thanks for joining. Really appreciate it. Make sure you go follow and all that jazz cabbage. Subscribe on the YouTube channel. You know what to 
do want to give a big shout out before we start the running backs to my friends at fantasypoints.com. Fantasy Points data and those that data suite they've got over there is a core piece of my content. So this is not any sort of paid endorsement or nothing. Those are just some friends that I got working over at Fantasy Points and they just so happen to be doing some industry leading work as far as tools and resources to make you a better fantasy player. So go check it out. Love the guys over there. Tons of stuff going on. YouTube channel, Discord, articles, videos. Like it's it's everything. It's everything. I love those guys over there. All right, the running back landscape ever changing as usual. Uh, week seven was no different. It was a great week for one Jameer Gibbs off the top. He was the running back three on the week without David Montgomery. Talked a little bit about him last week. He's going to be an upside running back two even when Montgomery's back. But until then, I think he's a top 12 weekly play. So fire him up. Jameer Gibbs looking electric. Couple other mainstays, Alvin Kamara, Travis Etienne, they remain locked in top five weekly options. Etienne being the league leader in rushing attempts, surprisingly, and Alvin Kamara coming off the couch, just lighting it up. Like getting, I think his first game, he got 14 targets. So Alvin Kamara is a locked in top five play for me going forward. We had Jonathan Taylor and Saquon Barkley looking back to their old selves a little bit. They slot back in as those back end running back ones. And then I think the biggest one was Bijan Robinson with only one carry after not cropping up on the injury report, Arthur Smith, with an illness. That was a bizarre one. It was really hard to watch that unfold. And if you were on Twitter or X as that was happening, it was an absolute wasteland of fantasy tears. Super bizarre. Killed a lot of fantasy hopes in week seven, but I am not worried about Bijan Robinson pretty confident that it probably was an illness that cropped up the headaches piece is a little worrisome because if that's something that could continue but if it was just a little tummy troubles or something I think he's going to be okay um, so I am 99% sure that we are not worried about Bijan Robinson after that week all systems go moving forward but I'm going to get into a couple guys that I'm going to talk a little bit more about because we have many more questions about them and we are going to start in Chicago at the top of the docket for running backs the running back one on the week, Deontay Foreman. What does this week do for him as far as viability and ability to remain consistent on the volume spectrum, regardless of efficiency? Because I think we need to go into Deontay Foreman expecting inefficiency and potentially some touchdown dependency regardless of who's around him regardless of who's taking some of that work but I do think what Deontay Foreman did with that huge performance in week seven was kind of insert himself into the short yardage goal line role for the Chicago Bears we are seeing that Roshan Johnson has a chance to come back in week eight he's going to take over the passing work and maybe a sprinkle of that running work and I think the crappy part for Deontay Foreman is that the Chicago Bears just might not have that many possessions where they get near the goal line. So I think there is a bit of a cap on what we can expect for volume for Deontay Johnson in that area of the field. Or sorry, Deontay Foreman. Deontay Foreman. So yeah, I mean, I'm not relying on him. I think you can ride the lightning for another week or two as a flex play at best. But when those other guys start to get healthy and get back into the mix, that volume is going to dwindle. And so will the production and his ability to give us that top 12 week that we got in week seven. So uh, if you can throw Deontay Foreman to an excited Bears fan in a trade to get something back, absolutely do it. 
But yeah, you just got to ride the lightning until he dies on your roster and then you drop him for somebody else on the waiver wire, basically. And if he doesn't die on your roster and he becomes that short yardage, maybe between the 20s back, that's getting touchdowns here and there. Sweet. You got a little cherry on top that you probably got on the waivers yourself. So that's great. Another waiver wire darling from earlier in the season, Jerome Ford set to miss a couple of weeks. That really sucks. He had a big ass run, huge touchdown run this past week and had a great game. Also having a solid game was Kareem Hunt. And I think he slots in, obviously, as the starter for a few weeks while Jerome Ford gets healthy. Um, and I think he's probably one of those um, low-ish upside running back 2-3 fence guys during this bye week season. So Kareem Hunt can be started as your running back too. Like him a little more in the flex, but I totally get that those bye weeks make us have to rely on some guys we wouldn't want to. Uh, if we look at Pierre Strong, who is the new backup, he is a bi-week flex play, I would say, because he's going to get a little bit of volume, but I think we're going to see Kareem Hunt maintaining the red zone volume for this team um, and to be determined as far as the passing game volume, but there hasn't been a ton in play for running backs in Cleveland. And then to stack on top of that, they got a couple tough matchups upcoming, so beware, but Kareem Hunt is the guy that I like. I've actually liked Kareem Hunt in this backfield all along once they re-signed him because of some of that red zone work that he could give and the fact that I think the big play we saw from Jerome Ford in Week 7 is going to be the exception more so than the rule for Jerome Ford as an explosive runner. Um, but yeah, Kareem Hunt can be a startable option. Pierre Strong's a sneaky little start, but more of a desperation than somebody we want to rely on. I think the backfield with the most eyes on it in week seven was the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, they came out and lost to those Pittsburgh Steelers in kind of a tough game. Uh, Daryl Henderson came off the couch, finished as the running back 17. Love to see it. If you followed the True North Fantasy Football Pod, you would have known that we are Daryl Henderson truthers. So no matter what we think of him now... We are fired up to see this going forward. Um, I say that we're fired up, but that doesn't mean our expectations for him are fired up. Royce Freeman was the backup. And I think the main difference between these two guys as far as fantasy production was Henderson scoring that touchdown. We saw Daryl Henderson with 58% of the snaps, also 58% of the team carries and had two targets to the goose egg that Freeman put up in that category. But Royce was actually more efficient by most advanced metrics found at fantasypoints.com, and he had more rushing yards than did Daryl Hendo on six fewer carries, I believe it was. So um, very interesting there. Royce Freeman showing us a little bit of efficiency that I wasn't necessarily expecting in his first game with the Rams. We did see Daryl Henderson take all those snaps in the red zone. I thought that would be the case with his familiarity. Only three such snaps in the entire game, though, so that's not a sample that I'm going to be banking on to say Daryl Henderson's going to have all of the red zone work going forward. His touchdown did come on one of those carries inside the five, so there is some opportunity for a running back in Los Angeles to get some touchdown upside via red zone carries, but I don't necessarily know that it's going to be Daryl Henderson. I think it actually probably ends up as a tandem situation with a slight lean towards Daryl Henderson because I think he's the leader in the clubhouse for that goal line work. Uh, but I think each guy's going to get some touches. And honestly, that kind of makes them worthy flex plays in what has shaped up as a great offense in Los Angeles. Both of them in any given week 
as that tandem play could come with 20 point upside or three point downside in those ranges of outcomes. So you really got to weigh, I think with the rest of your roster with these guys, if we don't see one guy clearly set himself apart as the starter, um, I think you really got to weigh that risk on your team, right? Can I afford to have that three point game that this guy might put up? Uh, if it's worth it, fire him up because that 20 points is in the realm of possibility. Um, but yeah, it's just all about that expectations that I talk about. You know that three points is definitely in the cards. So you got to work the rest of your roster to insulate that potential three points, right? And then, of course, we might have Kyron Williams coming back shortly. Looking like it's going to be after that week 10 bye. And I think... I think if they keep up what they did in week seven, Daryl Henderson and Royce Freeman can be a factor in that running back rotation for Los Angeles. If you've been watching, you've seen that I've been saying that I think Kyron Williams' bell cow standing was a bit fickle. Uh, He just didn't have very much backfield competition. Obviously, Cam Akers did something or said something about Sean McVay's wife. Um, but I think Kyron Williams might have some competition in that room now. Uh, I had a hard time seeing them moving forward throughout the rest of the season with Kyron Williams, and I think Ronnie Rivers was behind him. So with that, I think we just hold pat on my evaluation of Henderson and Freeman, and then we're going to reevaluate when Kyron Williams comes back because we got to see what these guys have done up until then. If they put up stinkers until then, then it's probably the Kyron show once again, but... To be monitored in La La Land. Okay, got a little five pack of running backs coming up next. The first guy I'm going to start with is Najee Harris. He was the running back 13 in week seven, running back 37 on the season so far. Last week, I dumped on him a little bit, I'll be honest. Just saying that... uh, All he was doing as far as fantasy production in his like running back 40-something performance to date was putting up big plays at one of the highest rates in the league which wasn't something that I could see in his profile, so not something that he's going to sustain. But this week, it was the same nausea that we know and tolerate. He had zero explosive runs on the week. The Earth's axis was set right with that one, also with his 3.8 yards per carry. He did get his touchdown on one of his whopping two red zone carries. And then we saw that he out-targeted Jalen Warren three targets to two, I believe it was, so that's something, I guess. I don't really think it's necessarily a trend because I think Jalen Warren is still in there as the receiving back. They were in a tight game against the Rams. They could see that they could get that W. They wanted to run the ball a little bit more. And they had Deontay Johnson back, who we know takes some of those short targets. So uh, I think that's more of a detriment to Jalen Warren's work as opposed to anything to do with Najee Harris. Najee's not jumping back into the running back two conversation just yet but he is getting just under 60% of the team's carries over the past four weeks. He and Jalen Warren have actually run the same amount of routes in that four-week span, with Jalen Warren getting 11 targets and Najee Harris getting six, so slight lean towards Jalen as the pass catcher, like I said. But I think for Najee, you can flex him based on that volume and potential for a touchdown going forward. And then with Jalen Warren, I think he's more of a desperation, maybe a bi-week flex play, so a little bit more dicey on that end, but... Keep an eye on it. Najee Harris getting more usable, whereas earlier in the season he was bench fodder. Uh, So keep an eye on that because if he puts any form of efficiency or maybe starts to have some of those explosive runs on top of what he did in week seven, I think he definitely comes into running back two conversations for sure. Didn't think I'd be saying that on Najee after the first few weeks. And a couple pairings here coming up. 
Guys that I see in similar tiers. First one's Rashad White. Also talked about him a little bit on last week's pod. But in week seven, he came in as the running back 12. And currently the running back 23 on the season. So not terrible. So far, he had 34 rushing yards. But what we really care, care about is the 65 receiving yards and six targets that he got in week seven. Uh, last week, I said that the main thing sinking his value was that he was getting three targets per game over the first six weeks. Well, it sounds like the Bucks listened to the True North Fantasy podcast because he doubled that with those six in week seven. And that's what's really going to unlock Rashad White's upside. I'm not banking on six targets every week, but I mean, four to six is serviceable. So keep an eye out for that to come to fruition. If that target volume remains consistent, I think he's a borderline running back one with the potential that he can make big plays on some of that added volume. But if that target volume doesn't doesn't increase like we saw in week seven, I think he settles right back into that running back 18 to 24 range. A guy you can put in your running back two spot, but not a guy who's really making a huge difference for your fantasy roster. I am hoping for the latter. Huge Rashad White fan. Want to see him get those targets. I think if he gets that volume, he's just going to be a really fun player to watch for fantasy football. So as somebody who's heavily invested, I am hoping for it. Another guy right in that Rashad White tier is James Cook. Uh, I definitely see them as kind of similar players, right? Cooks has tons of juice in his profile to make big plays. He just kind of needs the opportunities that are going to get him there. He was the running back eight in week seven with just over 100 scrimmage yards and a receiving touchdown on only three targets. But I think unlike Rashad White, I don't necessarily see the avenue for that volume increase for James Cook. Buffalo hasn't historically targeted receivers in the Josh Allen era. So I think those three targets per game, it's probably right around where he's going to sit. Only about 12 carries per game as well. So that's not really enough to give you big upside in absence of big plays, right? So definitely a guy that has to produce on explosive efficiency. And while he is the running back 14 on the season, he has room for a ton of positive regression in the efficiency category. As a receiver, not bad. Three of his 17 receptions have been for 20 or more yards. But as a runner, it's not good. Out of all the running backs with at least 50 rush attempts, he's 20th in explosive run rate. And I think his skill set would imply that he's got a lot more of that in him. And I think what's also shaky for James Cook is the touchdown upside. He's only got one rushing, one receiving on the year. That goal line work we know usually will go to Josh Allen for the Buffalo Bills. We have seen him run a lot less this year. He's still getting some near the goal line. And we have seen Latavius Murray be a bit of a thorn in the side for James Cook's touchdown upside in the red zone. The positive signs from week seven are that James Cook had three red zone carries to Latavius Murray's two. So definitely some positives there. I think with James Cook, considering his usage, I think he's probably about at his ceiling right now with the running back 14 standing that he has. He has done that with zero weeks inside the top 10 and only twice has he been inside the top 15 of running backs at the end of the week. So I think he's a decent running back too, but not spectacular where I think if he had more of that volume, more of that lucrative volume, he has spectacular in his skill set, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, decent running back too, but we need the volume or the explosiveness to go up. Without that, I uh, I think he probably starts falling down the ranks into that back of the top 24. Love him as a player. Love James Cook as a player. Just don't necessarily love Buffalo as a running back destination spot. And the last two, we'll start with Ramondre Stevenson. He has back-to-back double-digit point weeks, which is solid. The Rammer was the running back 14 in week 7. On the season, he's the running back 19. 
I am still a little concerned about his turnaround, but I think the upside, if he could start performing like he did in week seven, would be sick. Ramondre Stevenson only has one explosive run on the season. He's seeding goal line carries to Zeke Elliott. He's not forcing missed tackles, not getting yards after contact. So that's why I think that top 20 standing is a little bit fickle for the Ramrod. So I don't think he's out of the woods with the solid performances in the last two weeks. I think he's a flex play and I think, you know, you're not dropping or anything silly like that because he is getting volume, but this isn't a good offense. He hasn't shown some of the efficiencies that he did last season. So beware on Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, You just kind of got to hope for a comeback though, because I don't think you're getting a ton out of him on the trade market just yet. Uh, If he has another explosive game though, where he can give you a big fantasy week, I would look at getting out potentially. And I'm not going to spend too much time on Javante Williams. I talked about him last week again. Like I said, last week's episode was on underperforming running backs. Um, Talked about how his hold on that starting job wasn't very tight with Jaleel McLaughlin. But I think he did show a little bit of burst in week seven. Nothing crazy. He was the running back 20 on the week. He had 12.6 PPR points, no touchdowns. Um, but it was something, and that's all that us Javante owners can ask for, to be honest, like coming back off that injury, seeing poor performance. A lot of us are starting to try and evaluate if we really want him on our roster, especially in dynasty fantasy football. He showed some signs of life. We need to see it more if we're going to anchor to him as an asset we want to attach to right now. I still lean towards getting out on Javante. Um, but as somebody who drafted a lot of him, when he came out as a rookie, I would love to see the turnaround. So I'm rooting for it. I'm just not necessarily expecting it. All right, people, let's round it out with some favorite starts and fades for week eight. One of my favorite starts is Isaiah Pacheco. He plays the Denver Broncos for the Kansas City Chiefs this week. We, I don't have to go into the Denver Broncos. Terrible run defense. Chuba Hubbard next on the list against Houston. And then Gus Edwards against the Arizona Cardinals. All three of those defenses are bottom 10 in schedule adjusted points allowed to running backs per fantasypoints.com. So I think you're going to get some good weeks out of Isaiah Pacheco, Chuba Hubbard, Canadian, and Gus Edwards. Good old Gus bus being steady, not spectacular. And then we're going to look at some fades. I was using the fantasypoints.com matchups tool. It gives you schedule adjusted points allowed for each position and then also different facets of the position like rushing and receiving for running backs. Incredible tool. Go check it out. Um, And I found some good fades in there. So Derrick Henry is fade number one for this week. He goes against the Atlanta Falcons who have been incredibly stout against the run. Brian Robinson of the Washington Going Commandos against the Philadelphia Eagles team that just shut down Raheem Mostert in that wicked Sunday night game. Josh Jacobs plays Detroit. That's a tough run defense. And Kenneth Walker goes against those Cleveland Browns. All four of those defense that I mentioned are top 10 against running backs in that same category, schedule adjusted points allowed. Uh, So you can fade Derrick Henry, Brian Robinson, Josh Jacobs, and Kenneth Walker a little bit this week. And that does it for this week's episode of the True North Fantasy Pod. Talked about some big takeaways for quarterbacks and running backs coming out of week seven. Stay tuned for the wide receiver and tight end episode to drop a little bit later in the week. Thank you for sticking around. Subscribe to the channel. Please leave a comment. Let me know any of your takeaways from these guys that I talked about. Would love to see those comments on the YouTube channel. And then we are at True North FFB on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Appreciate the follows, appreciate the support, appreciate all of the engagement. Till next time, have a good fantasy week, people. Peace.